Sports fans, betters, and cappers, and welcome to the Daily Competitive Hedge Podcast. I'm your host of the show, Kenneth Cotterell, and this show is all about sports and the world of betting. We talk about the results from yesterday's games and wagers before diving into the full slate of betting plays for today. Now, our episode today is brought to you by our sponsor, Bet99. Bet99 is a Canadian sports book and casino that offers in-play betting, player props, and many, many more great products. There are a variety of sports to bet on on the website, and Bet99 works smoothly on both desktop and mobile. Their mobile app can be downloaded from the homepage of their website. Now, depositing and withdrawing funds is hassle-free with a number of well-known methods available to use, so you know your money is safe and secure. The website can be viewed in both English and French, and customer service is available 24-7 with their live chat option. So go to bet99.com to make an account, use promo code SHOOTERS to get started, and please gamble responsibly. You must be 19 plus years of age to do so. Now let's talk about yesterday's betting recap. Overall, it was a 1-3-1 day. Just a lot of tough results for us yesterday when it comes to the betting side of things. Starting with Bolton and Aston Villa, we took first half money line. Bolton goes up 1-0. Villa ties it up before the half, so they draw. But then they end up winning the game 4-1. So they truly dominated from start to finish. Unfortunately, gave up that early goal that just they were unable to recover. That's the risk you run when you run a first half money line. Then Norwich City draw no bet versus Bournemouth at minus 125. That one ended up being a push. They led 2-1, to one, and in the, the 90th plus two minutes mark, Bournemouth ties it up. Bournemouth actually goes on to win in the shootout, but we get the draw nonetheless for the regulation time. We did win San Francisco run line versus Detroit. They won 3-1. to one. As we talked about yesterday, Carlos rode on seven innings pitched, 10 Ks, and Longoria hit a home run in order for the Giants to pick up the run line win. San Diego and Cleveland never got close to that over seven and a half. At minus 120, it finished three to one. Only 10 total hits between the two teams, so overall, just a miss of a play yesterday. Unfortunately, Clevenger pitched well, as did the Cleveland rotation. And then to cap it off, the White Sox money line versus Baltimore misses. They out hit Baltimore 11 to 5, but lose the game 5 to 3. So, just overall, they were unable to drive in runs at the right time. So, we take the L on that one. But other results from yesterday's games we did have the Cubs 2 to nothing over St. Louis. Michael Rucker pitched two innings with 1K in the victory. And then Nico Horner and Seiya Suzuki both had RBIs for the Cubs to win the first game of the doubleheader with the Cardinals. Then you had the Jays. They won 9-3 over my Boston Red Sox. Ross Stripling goes six innings pitched, six Ks, 
and the Jays had an eight-run second inning to blow them out of the water early. Then you had the Atlanta Braves 6-1 to over the Pittsburgh Pirates. Max Fried goes eight innings pitched with seven Ks, and Travis Diarno hit a home run for the Braves as well, so they win that one easily. Shootout on our hands was Philly and Cincy. 7-6, to the Phillies win. Brad Hand had one inning pitch, 1K in the victory, while Nick Matten singled in the bottom of the ninth to drive in Brace and Scott and pick up the victory. Then the Yankees win 4-2 to over the Mets. Montes pitched well yesterday. He went five and two-thirds with six Ks. Aaron Judge hit another home run and drove in another RBI in the win for the Yankees. Then you had the Tampa Bay Rays in the blowout of the day. They win 11-1 to over the LA Angels. Corey Kluber went six innings pitched with three Ks. Isaac Paredes and Christian Betancourt both hit home runs for the Rays. Then you had the St. Louis Cardinals. They win the second game of the doubleheader, 13-3 over the Cubs. Woodford went five and a third with just one K, but he got home runs from Nolan Arenado, O'Neill, and Edmund all in the same game. Then you had Houston. They won 4-2 over Minnesota. Not a surprising result when you got Justin Verlander on the mound, who had no hits through six innings and 10 Ks. Then you had Bregman, who hit a two-run home run in the bottom of the seventh to clinch it for the Astros. You had the Diamondbacks 7-3 over Kansas City. Jose Mantiply gets the win, and six batters had RBIs on the day. It was an all-out team effort for the Diamondbacks. You had Colorado 7-6 over Texas. Marquez goes six innings with seven Ks, and he got some help as C.J. Crone and Elias Diaz both hit home runs. The Crone won one, then the game in the bottom of the seventh. Then you got Miami. They won 5-3 over Oakland. Pablo Lopez had six innings pitch, five Ks, and Brian Anderson hit a home run. You had the Mariners 4-2 over the Nationals. Robbie Ray, seven Ks over six and two-thirds, and he got home runs from Mitch Hanniger and Eugenio Suarez in order to pick up the win. And then another blowout to cap it off, the Dodgers once again cover another run line, 10-1 as Gonsolin goes five innings pitched with three Ks. Freeman and Thompson both with four RBIs on the day. Now, as far as WNBA playoffs went, the Chicago Sky, they did eliminate the New York Liberty yesterday. It was a tight game up until the fourth quarter. Unfortunately, the Liberty were unable to hold on as they were ice cold down the stretch. Parker, she had a double-double, near triple-double, 14 points, 13 rebounds, 8 assists. And Sabrina Ionescu didn't have her best stuff, finishing with 14 points, six rebounds, and four assists. So Liberty go home and the Sky move on to the next round of the WNBA playoffs. EFL Cup ties yesterday. couple surprising results yesterday. Um, a few that weren't. We did have Southampton over Cambridge United. Uh, you did have Nottingham Forest over Grimsby Town. Both of those were 3-0. Brentford 2-0 over Colchester. Everton 1-0 over Fleetwood Town. The Villa result, as we said, was 4-1 for Villa over Bolton. Leicester City, they went to a penalty shootout 0-0, and they win that shootout 3-1 over Stockport County. Would have been an embarrassing result if they were unable to pull it out, but they were able to. And then Crawley Town with the upset of the day. They knock out Fulham, the Premier League side, 2-0. We actually joked about it on our Off the Ball Network Live that it would be funny if Crawley knocked off Fulham and they were able to, so great upset there. Now, when we're talking about games today, there is some more EFL Cup ties 
four games happening. The three of note are Forest Green Rovers taking on Brighton. So Brighton are the road team, the Premier League side there. You got Leeds United at home taking on Barnsley. My lean here would be no both teams to score at minus 141. I think Leeds are going to win fairly comfortably today, but won't be having that a part of our official card. Then Tramer Rovers taking on Newcastle, so Newcastle on the road there. Uh, I like Newcastle obviously being the Premier League side, but Crawley Town taught us anything. It's that anyone can win in this competition. WNBA playoffs, we've got the Connecticut Sun. They're minus six versus the Dallas Wings today, and the over-under is 165. Dallas are at home once again. The the lesser seed gets the closing game of this three-game series. So I do think that Dallas is a chance. I'm staying away because a couple of blowouts here in these first two games. And so I don't really trust either side. Now let's talk about the MLB lines for today, as that is the rest of what's on the slate as far as betting goes for us. And so we're not going to talk about the games that are a part of our betting card, but a few other ones that are happening today. Starting with San Fran versus Detroit, you've got Logan Webb on the mound taking on Manning. Webb is 11-6 while Manning is 0-1 on the year. The Giants, they are minus 165. Uh, a little bit of a juice play, but I would take the money line there, parlay it with another money line if you're looking for some plus value. Then we have the Marlins, they're minus 125 versus the A's. Lazardo versus Irvin. Uh, the over-under here is 6.5. Uh, staying away from this game overall feels like a trap, so I don't love either team here. Then we have the Nationals and Mariners. Mariners are minus 300 versus the Nats. Over-under is 8. This one actually is a part of our betting card, so we'll chat about it in a little bit. Cincinnati and Philly. Uh, the Phillies are minus 250 today. The over-under is 9. Staying away, Tuke versus Sanchez. I do lean Sanchez here, but don't trust it quite yet then we have the White Sox minus 125 versus the Orioles and the White Sox burned us yesterday they have Giolito on the mound going up against Watkins so I do lean White Sox once again but won't lose two days in a row with the White Sox Jays are minus 155 versus the Red Sox they got Barrios going up against Bello over under is nine I like the over here uh, I do think that Barrios can get got here, and I don't love Bellow as a whole, so I think this could be a high-scoring game. Then you got the Rays. They're minus 275 versus the Angels. Mayer's going for the Angels, but McClanahan going for the Rays. He's got a 2.29 ERA and an 11-5 record. I might even throw the Rays money line in with that Giants money line, see if I can get close to even money, because I really like both of those teams today. Cardinals, they're minus 210 versus the Cubs today. Mikolas versus Farrell. Uh, I do like Mikolas here. I don't love that they're on the road. The over-under is 8.5. If I had to go anywhere with this one, I would lean the under, but staying away. Diamondbacks are minus 130 versus the Royals. You got Gallon versus Singer. I like Gallon on the mound. I trust the minus 130, so it's not a part of our official card, but I do like Diamondbacks' money line today. Then you got Twins, it's seven and a half with the Astros, Bundy versus Valdez, staying away because I like Bundy, but he can get got as well with his 4.6 ERA. And then to cap it off, the Dodgers, they've got Haney going against Hauser. They're minus 240. If I had to lean anything, I would lean Dodgers run line because they always seem to cover it. And so minus 125 is the value there. Just going to stay away from that game. 
So let's talk about the games that we are betting on. These are the four plays that we like early this morning. Uh, will be a part of our official card later today. Now, I like the Atlanta Braves-Pittsburgh Pirates over eight. It's an afternoon game today. Kyle Wright on the mound. He's 15-5 and five with a 3.14 ERA. He's taken on Mitch Keller, who's 4-9 and nine with the 4.49 ERA. The first two games went under in this series. I think the bats are going to get going against a bad Pirates pitcher. I think Atlanta has potential to go over on their own. I do think Pitt will add a run or two and won't get shut out here. So I'm thinking this game goes maybe 9-2, 9-3, but I do think Atlanta wins. They probably cover that run line, which is not too bad either, but we're rolling with the over eight as we like it. Then Texas and Colorado under 11 today. You got Martin Perez for Texas, who's got a 2.8 ERA, taking on Jose Arena, who's got a 4.71. Now, I think Texas pitches well today, and then the bats don't work well enough for them to go over here. Colorado, they went over in their last two games, so I think they're also due for a colder bat day. Plus that 11 line, I know that you're at the altitude, but it is a high run line in order to bet so i'm gonna take the under today think it's a low scoring game san diego and cleveland under seven and a half cal quantrill and blake snell both sporting a 3.77 era now i got burned on this one yesterday taking the over but i really like both of these pitchers especially snell when he's at home he's great and quantrill is pretty steady so i think this is a four to two type game at best five two so i really like the under seven and a half And then to cap it off today, I like the Washington Nationals and Seattle Mariners over seven and a half. Annabelle Sanchez on the mound taking on George Kirby. I think Seattle, they're like Atlanta. They could go over on their own, but the Nats will help with a run or two in order to get over that seven and a half mark. I think we see a 7-2 type finish here. So I'm rolling with the over in that game. But if you're listening to the podcast version of this show, stay tuned as we're joined by good friend Patrick Schur this morning to preview the New England Patriots. Welcome back to the Competitive Hedge Podcast. It is August 24th, which means our 24th NFL team preview is upon us. Now, yesterday, the discussion was all about the New York Giants, specifically how improved they can be under this new regime led by Brian Dayball. Today, the focus is we're heading back to the AFC. We're talking about our third team from the AFC East, that being the New England Patriots. But I am joined today by a good friend of the show. He's the commissioner of the JCCFFL. He's a passionate Leeds United fan when he isn't watching the American football. But when he is, he's a New England Patriots fan. That's Patrick Sure, Patrick, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm ready to talk about my beloved New England Patriots. Your beloved New England Patriots that are a couple years removed from the Tom days. But that being said, this is a yep. playoff team from last year. It is under the new helm of Mac Jones. And so we're going to chat about recapping last year, some of the offseason moves they made, maybe some bets and some fantasy as well. But we're going to start with that 2021-22 recap. The Pats went 10-7 and last year, and I think a lot of people were pretty surprised to see the Pats that high up. Yep. Unless you're Patrick, of course. Maybe, maybe he thought a little <laughs> bit differently. But they started the year 2-4. and four. They went eight and three the rest of the way. As I said, Mac Jones, first year quarterback and the always steady Bill Belichick. They had four pro bowlers and it got capped off with a playoff loss, unfortunately, 
to the Buffalo Bills in the wild card round, 47 to 17. So, Pat, what do you make of your Patriots year last year? I thought it was uh, com- a complete surprise, 100%. The team that was two and four or even one and three after the first four weeks, that was the team I thought we were going to have. Um, especially because the schedule to start the year wasn't that tough. It was Dolphins, Jets, Saints, Bucks, uh, and they went one and three in that stretch. Um, yeah, I I didn't think that they were going to do what they did, finish 10 and seven and make the playoffs. Um, I didn't think that Mac Jones was going to be effective the way he was. Um, and frankly, none of what happened last year has changed my expectations going into this year. I still don't think they're all that uh, good overall, and I'm not expecting 10 and seven again. I'll tell you that much. Okay. So obviously last year, yep. You go to the playoffs, you picked up big wins and it burned me on the betting side of things. I felt like Mm -hmm. the chargers was going to be a win. And then suddenly they win that game and you're like, what? Like, well, I think it's a surprise. If you look at that stretch, the Chargers win was really, really good. But then, you know, they they go and they beat the the Panthers, not that impressive. Uh, and that's the Panthers without McCaffrey. Then they beat the Browns. And it's that was the week the Browns basically had no one because the whole team had yeah. COVID. And then they beat the Falcons on a Thursday night. Then they beat Tennessee without um, Henry. And then they beat Buffalo in that game where the winds were going like 90 miles an hour. Pro- like, that's probably the worst game of the year last year, too. Oh, it, I, I don't know how it's not. It was it was it was horrendous. Um, and so I just look at that win streak and you can just put an asterisk beside so many of those games, you know, and it and it just yeah. And it, and it, it all came to fruition at the end of the season when they lose in the playoffs, the bills, it felt like justice was being done there. Like they surely can't keep this up and they couldn't. And the, the bills are a much better team all around and spanked them. So, and, and you talk about the fact that they had all these wins, but it's against teams that are banged up. And then yep. you look at some of the teams that missed, I mean, no Baltimore due to injuries, no chargers yep. on the last day of the season, Indianapolis just needed to beat Jacksonville in order to get into the playoffs and they couldn't do it. So I agree. I think the Patriots very fortunate to get there last year. Now yep. this off season, they went out and they made some moves. They added Devontae Parker on the offensive side, kept Jacoby Myers. They finally traded Nikhil Harry. Finally, the first, yeah. the, the first round wide receiver that I don't know how many catches he had in his time in New England, but it couldn't have been many. Um, they lose Brandon Bolden and James White to retirement as well. So shout out to James White as well for yeah. a phenomenal career. Probably Great the player. only Patriots running back over the last decade that you looked in fantasy and you're like, yeah, I'd do that. Yep. I, I I could do that for sure. Yep. And, and then on the scored, defensive, what was that? I was going to say, and of course, scored the game-winning touchdown against the Falcons in the Super Bowl. One of the best running back performances in the Super Bowl, yep. perhaps of all time. Yep. And then J.C. Jackson, he left for the Chargers. They kept Devin McCourty. They released Kyle Van Oy. Uh, draft-wise, they went out and they addressed the offensive line in the first round, got a wide receiver in the second. So, not a lot of moves that inspire you to feel like 10 and seven is achievable again. And as you've already said, you don't think that 10 and seven is achievable once again. Now, Mac Jones, he is going into year two. Devontae Parker is certainly an upgrade at wide receiver. How much of an upgrade that is, it's tough I mean, to say. Yeah. 
So what what do you think heading into this year? Do you think they made the offseason moves that they needed in order to contend in the division or in the conference? Or do you think they're kind of just middle of the road this year? I think they're middle of the road. I think if if you looked at this roster without knowing Bill Belichick is coaching it and it's the New England Patriots, you'd say this is a bad football team. It like outside of like Matt Judon, I don't know if they have any players that I would consider top at their position. I think Judon is fantastic. And like, that's it. Like their receiving core is some guys, you know, that are fine. The running backs are good ish. You know, Mac Jones is a guy that doesn't screw (laughs) up a lot, like, which is great, but you know, that's not going to win you the Super Bowl. So I just don't, I, I think if you put, you know, Oakland Raiders at the top of the roster page, instead of new England Patriots, people would say this is a bottom of the league team. So, but then again, that being said, because it's the Patriots and because it's Belichick, they're probably still going to just stick around and they're going to make life miserable for some teams that otherwise, you know, should make the playoffs. And we saw it last year too, like New England, they take on Tampa Bay and they just give Tampa Bay a game, like kind of from out of nowhere. And you're like, it's just Belichick doing what Belichick does, which is make things difficult for everyone else. And I look at this team and yeah, Devontae Parker, it's an upgrade, but it's only an upgrade because your WR1 was Jacoby Myers. And you're like, yeah, "Yeah, I'd maybe start him at the flex and fantasy if I had some injury issues, but I also don't love it. Um, You pointed to Mac Jones, kind of just a game manager. I I don't really think that he's going to go out and throw for 354 touchdowns and and go and get you what you want. Now, having Belichick at the helm, as you said, that kind of bumps you up a game or two. You feel like you maybe steal a game or two that you shouldn't, and it's because you have Bill there. Because I agree, if I looked at this roster top to bottom, I'd say I'll probably like 7 and 10. But now because you have Bill, you're like, oh, okay, so they could be – eight and nine, nine and eight. And so that's exactly where Vegas, I think, sees it as well. Because when we're talking about the betting lines with this team, it's eight and a half. And when I did the Dolphins preview with Dylan a couple days ago, I said, I like the Miami over because I feel like they actually went out and made some moves and and they tried Mm -hmm. to make the football team better. They have Tua, but they're like, you know what? If Tua is the guy, we're going to get him another weapon. No excuses Mm -hmm. this year. It's Tyree Kill now and Jalen Waddell. Then I look at Mac Jones and I'm like, the best you could get is Devontae Parker. Yeah. In, in, a, in an offseason that was filled with wide receiver moves, like plenty of wide receivers were on the move. Juju Smith-Schuster was sitting there and they're like, nah, we'll just let him go to Kansas City. Yeah, you know. So you, you go through all these guys, even an Allen Robinson kind of, for me, felt like, oh, that's a New England Patriot guy because he's coming off a bad year. He yeah, goes, that rehab would have been goes, great. Goes but... into a Belichick offense, and then suddenly he figures it out, and then he gets a contract somewhere else. So I don't know what to make of this betting line. I certainly don't like the division winning odds, plus 480. No. I think no. it's Buffalo by a mile. If mm-hmm. someone is going to pull it off, it would be Miami, mm-hmm. and it's just because the offense clicks. But I'm focusing in on that eight and a half win total. Now the under is minus one Oh two. The overs want minus one twenty two. So Vegas likes the over here mm-hmm. and I can't get myself to like the over on this. I don't I, know what it is. I feel like you have, because Miami's at the exact same. And I said, I feel like Miami's nine and eight, new England's eight and nine. They're going to split with each other. Probably one of them will take a game off the bills 
I just think Miami has the better chance to do it. And then I feel like it's a wash across the board. So what do you think of this win total line? Um, I don't like it. And I would, <laughs> I would avoid it if I could, if yeah. I had to pick, I would, I would take the under, I think, because one of the things I guess we didn't talk about, we talked about Belichick spotting you a game or two, but um, McDaniels being gone now, uh, I think that plays into it too. You know, they, they've got Matt Patricia in some sort of play calling role and, you know, he was a hot commodity before he went to Detroit and then he went to Detroit and everyone was like, oh, Matt Patricia stinks. Like he's not good at this. <laughs> um and now he's back and he's like, yeah, like calling plays and they got like Joe judge on the coaching staff too. It's just, you know, I think uh, if I had to pick one, I would take the under because I see the Patriots winning six, seven, eight games, not nine or 10. Yeah. And funny enough, a bill Belichick coach, not working out when he leaves new England, who would have yeah, thought know, that I, would ever be no. a possibility from a bill Belichick coaching yeah. tree. Now, <laughs> The issue that I have is that I also can't get on the over because I look at this schedule and there's just so many 50-50 games. And if anything, Mm -hmm. I lean 60-40 for the opponents. I think you can beat Pittsburgh, depending on how Kenny Pickett looks. Baltimore, to me, is a loss. Green Bay is a loss. Detroit and Chicago are the two on the schedule where I'm like, okay, I I could see you winning both. Cleveland, it's without Deshaun, so... Maybe that's a win there. But then down the stretch, Indianapolis, Minnesota, Arizona, Vegas, and Cincinnati, all teams that you're assuming are going to be in that playoff hunt as well. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just can't get behind it because if I'm thinking that they're going to go three and three in the division, maybe they sweep the Jets, they lose both to Buffalo, they they tie with Miami, then I have to go and find six other wins and I just don't see it with do I. this schedule. I see three that I really like and then it's okay, but they got to go and get three off some quality teams that are also fighting for the playoffs. So that's where I struggle here. I think if I'm betting anything, it's under eight and a half. I might just fade this line altogether. The no playoffs at minus 189 is probably the one that I feel the most confident in. It's a little bit juiced, but you could throw it in with another yeah. team that you think is going to miss as well and get some plus odds because the AFC is just so good this year. You're talking about f- potentially four playoff teams in the West, the Colts, mm-hmm. you've got Cincy and Baltimore, you've got Miami and Buffalo ahead of you in your own division. It's just so loaded and it feels like they're yeah. stuck in no man's land with this roster. And you, and you, you didn't even mention Tennessee and that's another team that's like, well, they're probably going to hang around at the very least, yeah. you know? So well, yeah. And who knows if Cleveland hangs around without Deshaun and then he comes back the last six, seven weeks and then they go on a run. That's a scary team once you get Deshaun Watson in there. So I just look at this team and they're not bad enough to be really bad Mm -hmm. because first of all, they have Bill and he just won't let that happen. Mm -hmm. And second of all, they just it's just not a roster that I love. There's no position, as you said, Judon is probably the only one that I look at and I'm like, okay, that guy's elite at his position. Yeah. I don't really see it with a lot of other guys here. Now, from a fantasy football perspective, this is where <laughs> we've talked about how no guy is elite. So now we have to hone in on, okay, all the guys that we're probably going to talk about, you're going to be thinking about drafting later in your fantasy drafts. Mm-hmm. The highest ADP of anyone on this team is Damian Harris, but we're going to start with the quarterback position with Mac Jones. So last year, 
fantasy wise, he finishes quarterback 18. His ADP right now is 176, which puts him just behind Jameis Winston, but just ahead of Matt Ryan. So is Mac Jones a viable start in a fantasy league, or is he the guy that bye week injury, you look at it and say, oh, he's got he's got that great Detroit or Chicago matchup? Yeah, I think you go, yeah, New York Jets. Um, I think that's when you look at Mac Jones, spot start. Um, the notion that he's going around Matt Ryan and Jameis Winston is bizarre to me. I would rather have those guys 10 times out of 10. Uh, than Mac Jones. I just think, you know, you're, you're going to get very low level performance. Like he's going to put, he's going to get you like 10 to 14 points, but you know what? In a 12 team PPR league, you're not going to win your week with 10 to 14 points out of your quarterback, unless the rest of your team goes crazy. You need to get to that 20 point um, sort of threshold to feel good about it. And I just don't think he's going to give you that more than once or twice this year. Uh, And he doesn't run. So he doesn't have, he, well, he, he can run, but not very much. You know, not, it's not a, it's not a difference making amount of rushing yards. So, so you said you would take Matt Ryan above him right yep. behind Matt Ryan is Zach Wilson. Who would you take out of the two? <laughs> I mean, it's same division and they're okay. both second year guys. So I would take Mac Jones. Um, although I could easily see by week six, you're, you'd rather have Zach Wilson. If, okay. if things are if things are going well for for the Jets, they got lots of skill, um, lots of weapons. Maybe things work out there. But I guess right now I'd draft Mac Jones. And the two behind him, Baker Mayfield and Ryan Tannehill. Well, now that we know Baker's the starter, I'd take Baker, and yeah. I'd, I'd also take Tannehill ahead of that. I think Tannehill's going. I, I think I Tannehill has the higher upside to have like those yeah. thirty point weeks that you're hoping for from a waiver wire guy. Like yeah. if you want to play it safe. And you want to play Mac Jones against the Jets, knowing that he may throw three touchdowns in 250. That's fine. But if I've got Jameis on waivers, if I've got Matt Ryan on waivers, mm-hmm. Baker, like I feel like I'm definitely going to those guys because I feel like they have the upside of, man, they could throw for 350 and four touchdowns and win me a week. They yeah. could also lose me the week altogether, but I just don't trust it with Mac. Now the running yeah. back spot. It's Damian Harris right now. The ADP for him is 75. So you're talking about a seventh round guy in our league. Let's face it, probably fifth round guy. Um, He's running back 14 in PPR last year, number eight in standard. That's the thing that hurts is the majority of people play PPR now. So yeah, Mm -hmm. Harris would have been great last year if you're in a standard league, but he just doesn't have the catching upside out of the backfield. So his range is just behind Miles Sanders, just ahead of Kareem Hunt. What do you think of the value of getting a Damian Harris in that seventh, sixth round range? Um, I think it's I think it's a fine pick if you went wide receiver heavy at the start. I wouldn't I wouldn't touch him if I started my draft taking I don't know like Derrick Henry, Aaron Jones. I wouldn't bother with wasting a pick on Damian Harris. I would only take him if I if he was like my rb2 after another like a miles sanders and a damian harris you know yeah um because i think he's got some floor there but you know a lot of his points last year came with 15 touchdowns right yeah. is he gonna repeat that again what if what if you know Ramondre stevenson had five so there's 20 between the two of them what if we get an even split of 10 and 10 you know yeah. because Ramondre gets more carries at the goal line um that would be that would be my concern. Nine times out of ten, I'm not drafting Damian Harris at all because, as you said, 
the guy going kind of behind him is Kareem Hunt. And I'll take Kareem Hunt over uh, Harris. Um, I'm actually looking at NFBC ADP and I see. So they have Singletary going ahead of Harris, which I think is a little. Oof. I would rather have Harris in that. I, case. I'd, I'd rather have Harris there now. Yeah. The the reason why I like Hunt as well is that I feel like he's going to be trade bait. And I feel like if he gets into the right situation late in your year, he could be a number one on a team. Whereas Harris, I think, has the potential to lose the bulk of the carries here because yeah. Stevenson was great last year. There's yeah. no bold in there now. So it's basically these two guys. It's less of a committee probably than years past with New England. And I can get him so much later. We're talking about him going ninth round, potentially 10th round. Um, he's just behind Melvin Gordon, who's the backup there in Denver, but probably not taking the job from Javante at this juncture of his career. And then just ahead of Pierce in Houston, where he's still battling it out with Marlon Mack, fantasy legend Marlon Mack. Marlon so Mack, yeah. I, I prefer Stevenson here as well. I feel like I agree with you where if you if you go wide receiver heavy, if you get caught up in the, I got Jefferson and then Tyreek, then my next running back I have is, I don't know, j- just a, an average guy. Yeah. Then I, I draft Harris just hoping, okay, well, he's going to be a steady guy that I can plug in every week because my running backs are weak. But I don't know why you would draft him other than that. ADP-wise, yeah. like in that range, I feel like you can get better wide receivers too. You could take the shot yeah. on... DeAndre Hopkins, when he comes back for late in the year, you can take the Michael Thomases, the Amon Ross St. Browns are around that range. I'd rather just go wide receiver there and kind of just punt having a Damian Harris on my team. So Stevenson for you then is the guy that you would probably rather draft. I'd rather take Stevenson, the lower cost, higher upside. And from the things that I listen to when it comes to fantasy football podcasts is Stevenson just has the better film. He just looks better as a player than Harris does. And nine times out of 10, I want the better player. I'm not, you know, Harris getting 15 touchdowns. You can't predict that kind of stuff. If Stevenson's the better player, I'm going to go with him and hope that shines. I agree. Now wide receiver, you're getting a late flyer. If you're going the new England route, we've already talked about Mac Jones, how he's QB 18. Now, you've got a couple wide receivers going around the same spot. you got Devontae Parker, who I said was an upgrade, but clearly not that much because his ADP is 151, and i got Jacoby Myers at 155. So yeah. they kind of view them as 1A, 1B. What the crazy part is is that Kendrick Bourne last year was arguably the best receiver in the offense. He's going at 214. So is this just a situation where it's fade Patriots wide receivers, or is it I'm taking the late flyer on one of these guys hoping that Mac Jones falls in love with them and they get the bulk of the targets. Um, I think so. If you look at like targets last year, Jacoby had like 123 targets. Bourne had 77 or something like that. Um, I don't think Myers gets that same volume this year. Uh, Now he was a really safe play for a lot of last year, but when I look at ADP, I see a guy like Kenny Galladay going in the same range. And I think I realize. Galladay had a bad year last year, but the Giants have, um, you know, new head coach, new offense, and Galladay, I think we can all agree, light years of talent more than any of these Patriots guys. Yeah. You know, just take Kenny Galladay. You know, yeah. don't don't take take any of these guys. Take, mm-hmm. you know, looking at other guys going around here like Tyler Boyd. I mean, DJ Chark, I think, is probably more talented than any of them. Um, or take a shot on 
you know, George Pickens or Romeo Dobbs or, or yeah. something like that. I think unless, unless you didn't take a ton of wide receivers and you need somebody that you feel comfortable starting like Myers in your flex, don't even bother. I agree that there's more talent and upside there. We know that Mac is more the game manager. I think fantasy wise, you're looking like Kenny Galladay. I did a show earlier today with Chris that goes out tomorrow. And we're just talking about Kenny Galladay is yeah, he didn't have the touchdowns. There was no offensive line. He played with Mike Glennon for a number of games at QB. Now at the very least, the giants have not only Daniel Jones, but they brought in Tyrod Taylor. So yeah. at the very least, if, if one QB gets hurt, then you have another guy there that you trust a lot more. Not that Kenny Galladay is going to blow you away and look like Detroit Lions Kenny Galladay, but he could certainly be a lot closer to that than the, the oh, yeah. shell of what we saw last year. So yep. I agree on, on the later picks. I'd rather draft Sammy Watkins in a Green Bay offense and just sure. hope that Aaron yep. loves him way more than I'm trusting any of these wide receivers. Yep. If I'm taking any person in this offense... Hunter Henry might be one of those guys. His ADP is 137. So you're taking him around earlier than these wide receivers. He's got the touchdown upside. He's just mm-hmm. behind Big Albert in Denver, just ahead of Tyler Higby, Irv Smith. Feels like the appropriate range. This is the I punted tight end down the road. I didn't get one of those guys even later on, like a, a TJ Hawkinson or a Mike Gesicki. So now mm-hmm. I, I'm kind of left in no man's land of tight ends. Hunter Henry to me seems like the best guy in this range. What do you think? Um, it's it is it's he's in that tight end range, and he very much is part of that group of guys where you're just you're hunting for somebody who's going to get in the end zone, and who's it's just going to be that guy's year. You know, it's yeah. very similar to like Robert Tunyon sort of stuff, yeah. where we didn't we didn't really know much about him, and then he he just popped off that one year. Um, Gary Barnage, you remember that name? Like <laughs> it's these guys, you know. And actually, fun fun exercise: go back and look at top ten tight ends from like six or seven years ago, and you'll see some names where you're like, "Wow, I forgot that player yep. existed because he had one year and then he didn't go anywhere." Yep, it's it's very much like that, and. If he's the guy you like, you know, take him. But I, I don't know, you know, you could convince me Cole Komet is the guy you got to take. You know, he's yeah. going to get, maybe he'll get lots of targets in Chicago. You know, you could convince me Big Al in Denver is the guy to take. You know, it's it's one of those ranges where I feel like if I haven't taken a tight end by this point, I'm just going to wait and just see who kind of falls to me. Um yeah. And last year I made the mistake of jumping a little bit too early because I ended up drafting Hunter Henry kind of in the same range, like 10th round. And then nobody took a tight end for like three rounds after that. And I was pissed at myself because I, yeah. I felt like I wasted that pick. Um, so he's not a, like 100%. He's a tight end. You could feel happy starting, but I'm just not convinced enough yeah. that I need to pick him over any of those other guys. So it, I'll, it, I'll just it feels like you you wait that long you can probably go and get two guys and play yeah. the matchups and hope because at yeah. that point, look, when you, the weeks that you play the Kelsey's, the Kittles, the Wallers, you just write it off as, all right, I'm 15 points behind the eight ball, probably heading into the week. Yep. Now I have to go out and make up for it elsewhere. So mm-hmm. that's kind of how I feel about this tight end range. You mentioned Robert Tunyon. He goes way later. I'd feel mm-hmm. comfortable drafting both. You hope that Tunyon comes back from the injury in a couple weeks and then he's good to go in that Rodgers offense because it's bad. And then 
at this point, you're just throwing a dart at a dartboard and hoping that something sticks and, and it fits in well. So, Pat, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. Yeah. This was a ton of fun talking fantasy football. What are your expectations for New England this year? Like, what do you think is a realistic expectation for this New England group? Uh, I expect about seven wins. Uh, they're not going to make the playoffs. It's going to, I think there's going to be some rocky times this year where people are starting to question Belichick, you know, how much, how much longer can he do this? Because I think, you know, he did a great job with the roster they had last year and, you know, lightning doesn't strike twice. I I didn't see anything out of Mac Jones that makes me think, wow, this guy's going to elevate year two and we're going to keep rolling. I just think status quo teams are going to kind of figure some things out. They're going to know what to do with him. And uh, you know, Patriots are going to be a middle team and you're, you, you're not going to want your team to play them necessarily. Cause you know what could happen, <laughs> but I still don't think that they're going to do anything magical and you know, they'll be picking 12th overall next year. Okay. I'm, I'm locking that in 12th overall pick for new England Patriots next year. There you go. We'll, we'll see how close to the pick you end up getting. And we'll, we'll burn it on a wide receiver. That'll only play 10 games. <laughs> Nikhil Harry's distant cousin <laughs> that, that just so happens to also not catch the football. So yeah. I agree. I think new England's kind of in that no man's land. They're not good enough to contend in the AFC. They're not bad enough to be that bad, like a Houston Uh, so I think that's where they're going to end up. They're going to get an okay pick. Hopefully they draft well and Belichick has proven that he drafts well and we'll see if they can be back in a year or two's time. But Pat, thanks so much for coming on the show. Appreciate everyone who tunes into the show every single day. Uh, Drop us a five-star review, Apple and Spotify, and we'll see you guys tomorrow for the daily competitive edge podcast. Cool. Thanks so much, guys.